in the midst of uncertainty, our faith can struggle. Our walk becomes labored, our heart heavy. There's something about the unknown which seems to weaken us. It drains our patience and blurs our focus. Yet, in the middle of everything stands a faithful God. A God who's not swayed by the struggle, who isn't moved by the winds of chaos. A God who remains faithful even when our faith is fragile. It seems more difficult than ever to not worry about tomorrow. Yet that's exactly what God has asked us to do. For when we cast our burdens on Him, the troubles of the moment begin to fade. When we trust the plans He has for us, our fear begins to subside. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, our focus becomes consumed by clarity. Yes, we are in the midst of uncertainty, but we can be certain of one thing. God is faithful. And that is more than enough for tomorrow. Wow, so much good truth in the, the precursor to the message this morning. The songs were great, and, and the message of that video is just wonderful. Uh, here in a couple of months, our, uh, our nation is going to experience some, uh, an, another incredible phenomenon known as a total eclipse. Uh, in 2017, here in Goshen County, we were smack dab in the middle of it. Totality. It, it was unreal. Uh, the experience of it was unreal. The experience of all the people that came to Wyoming was unreal. Um, it was incredible. I mean, there's, uh, I was enjoying it with my brother, uh, the eclipse. And um, this year, in just two months, uh, the totality zone is going to go right over the top of Waco, Texas. And we we just happen to know somebody that lives in Waco, Texas, and, and Sarah and I are going to be going down uh, just after Easter, and uh, we're going to experience again uh, this incredible uh, uh, total eclipse. Now, I, I looked it up. This may be the last time, possibly the last time in our lifetime that we will get a chance to experience a total eclipse. The next one though not too far off, is, isn't going to happen until 2045. And who knows what's going to happen in the next 21 years of our life, right? But it's, it's not going to happen until 2045. And I just, as I've been thinking about this, isn't the universe that God created amazing? Uh, so, so a couple things that just struck me this week. First of all, I looked up, they, they know when the next eclipses are going to be for the next 50 years and probably beyond that, but that to the day and to the place. And that is how precise our God created the universe, the universe, uh, unreal. And then I was just, I don't remember if it was a conversation I was having with my son one time, but, um, I was thinking about our moon, you know, that thing out there that reflects the sun. And, and you all probably know this, but, but if you didn't, 
um, you weren't paying attention in, in uh, whatever that would be, whatever class. <laughs> Astronomy. I almost said astrology, but that's a total separate kind of thing. Um, did you know that, we, that everyone on the planet, everyone on this planet sees the same side of the moon all the time? I mean, the, the moon uh, rotates at the same rate at which it orbits the earth. And so as it goes around, we see the exact same. How precise is that? How big is our planet? How big is the moon? And, and when God spun those things, created those things, made them exist, he made them with such precision that 20, 40, 50 years out, they know when the next eclipse is going to be how long it's going to be, what time of the day it's going to occur. Now, to me, as we just sang, and as Bob just mentioned, look, we're, we're all messed up. We are. But we serve a God who's perfect. And he doesn't mess up. And he created each and every one of us, as we've been seeing through the last few weeks. And, and not only that, but, but he gave us something that is super important in our life. But, but before that, uh, I, read, I read some memos from a company uh, regarding an eclipse that was going to occur. And this, uh, the first memo came from the company's director general to the manager, and this is, this is what he says. Today at 11 o'clock, there will be a total eclipse of the sun. This is when the sun disappears behind the moon for two minutes, and this is something that cannot be seen every day. Time will be allowed for employees to view the eclipse in the parking lot. Staff should meet in the parking lot at 10 to 11 when I will deliver a short speech introducing the eclipse and giving some background information. Safety goggles will be made available at a small cost. Okay, so then this manager then uh, typed up a memo to his department head, and this is what her memo read. Today at 10 to 11, all staff should meet in the parking lot. This will be followed by a total eclipse of the sun, which will disappear for two minutes. For a moderate cost, this will be made safe with goggles. The director general will deliver a short speech beforehand to give us all some background information. This is not something that can be seen every day. So then that department head sent a memo to the floor manager. This is what their memo read. The director general will today deliver a short speech to make the sun disappear for two minutes in the eclipse. <laughs> this is something that cannot be seen every day, so staff will meet in the parking lot at 10 or 11. This will be safe if you pay a moderate cost. And then the floor manager then proceeded to write to the supervisor, 10 or 11 staff are going to the parking lot where the director general will eclipse the sun for two minutes. This doesn't happen every day. It will be safe, but it will cost you. And then a, finally, a memo from the supervisor to his staff. Some staff, will go to the car, some staff will go to the parking lot today to see the director general disappear. It is a pity this doesn't happen every day. <laughs> now, in the communication of information, we all know that the telling of stories, even truthful ones and factual ones, that can happen. We can change them. They can change over time. Uh, the party game gossip when a single sentence is passed on from one person to the next is a great example of that. It is never the same when it gets to the last person. 
Details are changed, biases are introduced, opinions can be communicated as fact. As human beings, we are prone to this, and it is disastrous, disastrous when it happens to things that are truth with a capital T. There, of course, have been philosophers and enemies of God. We're going to read about some of them in this coming weeks of this uh, series in 2 Peter, who through the centuries have intended, have intentionally tried to change the truth, to deceive those who they are speaking to, which is one reason that God had Peter write his letter. Um, It is why the word of God, our holy scriptures, are such a necessary and incredible gift that we have in our hands from God. If you haven't yet, please turn to the book of 2 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 12 through 21 this morning, and, and we're, going to see, we're going to see three truths in today's passage. The first seems obvious, but we can forget it, and, and that is that men die, but the world lives on. Men and women die, but the world lives on. So look at verse 12 there. 2 Peter chapter 1, so, Peter says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Now, we, we do not... Peter says, depend on the traditions of dead men for our truth and guidance in life. We depend on the truth of the living word of God. Men die, but the word of God lives on forever. Peter knows that his life is coming to an end. He tells us that in verse 14. He says, I know that pretty soon this tent is going to be put aside. He knew. Jesus told him that he was not going to live a long life. It was going to be short. Jesus made it clear to Peter also that he would like that, that he was going to die in a similar fashion as his own. And, and we aren't given the details in scripture, but, but by a historian of Peter's day, that he was indeed crucified and that he was crucified upside down at his request because he didn't find it right to be for his life to end the same way that Jesus did. So Peter is leaving a final message for us, for his contemporaries and for us in this letter that we have in our hands, Second Peter. And if we did not have a dependable written revelation, if we did not have truth, absolute truth in the word of God, the church would be at the, mem- at the mercy of men's memories. Now, I don't know about you, but it would end with me because I have a terrible memory, a terrible memory. And our memories are defective and they are selective. Uh, For example, isn't it amazing that three well-meaning witnesses of the same automobile accident can give three completely and totally different descriptions of what just happened? Not intentional, well-intending. We usually remember what we want to remember, and we often distort even that, even what we remember. But by the grace of God, We can completely depend on the written word of God as it is written and has and will stand forever. 
Now, it was God-breathed, and we can be saved through this living word. What we read here and what God gives us, what he has revealed to us, is enough for godly living and salvation. It's all right here, and we are guided and protected as we trust and obey. Now, in the first four verses of our passage today, Peter brings to our attention three purposes. And in the NIV translation, I looked at a couple other English translations, and, and they do the same thing. Um, they use the three words that start with the same letter, R. The first is remind. In verse 12, Peter says, so I will always remind you of these things. Now, they have the truth just as we do, he says, but sometimes we can get frustrated by hearing of the same concepts in Christian teaching. You, you come to church and you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm past that. I've learned that. I've heard that. Really? But did you really hear it? Do you really understand it? We have to be reminded uh, about that stuff all the time. Peter says that it's necessary. Oh, how quickly we can forget. How quickly we can be enticed or led into deceitful truths, to myths and fables, false narratives and beliefs. Now pay special attention to the word so here. You might even circle that. The use of so is similar to the use of therefore in our English translations. Peter, when he says so, it means what I'm telling you now is in reference to what I just said. Pay special attention to that. What I am saying now, he says, is in reference to what I just said in the first, for us, 11 verses of this letter. Mind you, when the, the people received the letter of, of Peter, it didn't have chapters and verses in it. It was just a letter. The, the, the chapter numbers and the verse numbers are added by us so that we can easily talk about them, so that I can say to you, go to verse 11, and it's easy to go to verse 11. Anybody, no, nobody's boyfriend or girlfriend writes them a love letter with, you know, chapters and verses, right? But that's... We need to remember that that's really what God's word is to us. It, it, is, a, it is a love letter. Um, and, and Peter already has told us truths like by, by God's divine power, he has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. That's in the first 11 verses. And, and that we received it all when we came to know him. And the fact that that word know is not just intellectual knowledge, it's intimate knowledge. It's truly knowing him. What is God like? What what? What is his character? How does he operate in the world? Who is he? He's the one who called us to himself by means of his glory, marvelous glory and excellence. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So question for you. Have, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? If you have, it's because he called you. Are you wondering, maybe today's the first time you've really, you're like, I don't know, maybe this is your first time here or it's your first time in a church or it's your first time listening or watching and, and this is all new to you. You know what? It's because, it's because Jesus is calling you. He had you here for a reason. There's something he wants you to hear today. Are you growing in knowing Jesus intimately, personally, faithfully? And obediently, it's because he loved you first. It's because he called you. It's because he drew you to himself. It's because he sacrificed his own life and that he rose from the dead for you. Reminders. Peter says in verse 13, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent 
of this body, refreshed. Look, we should never tire of hearing God's word. Uh, Reading it, learning it, memorizing it, devotions, sermons, Bible studies. Why? So that our memories can be constantly refreshed. Refresh, refresh, refresh. Your pastor, your husband, your wife, your parents, we should all be engaged in refreshing one another's memories so that we aren't blind or short-sighted to what Jesus is calling us to. Remind, refresh, and then Peter says in verse 15, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Remember these things. We forget and go astray so easily. The enemy is insidious and well-versed in temptation and persuasion unto evil. There are no shortcuts in our relationship with Jesus. We need to remember these things. We need to remember that Jesus shed his blood for us and that he did indeed rise from the dead, that he is alive today. Short of Jesus' return, we will all pass away. We will all take our last breath. And while we are together, may we spur one another on to the truth of God's word. Remind, refresh, and remember. Men and women die, but the word lives on. Men and women die, but the word lives on. The second truth in our passage this morning is is that experiences fade, but the word remains. Experiences fade, but the word remains. Look at verses 16 through 18, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father, When the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. In these verses, Peter is most likely recalling his experience with Jesus on a mountainside when Jesus was transfigured. Now, the account of Jesus' transfiguration is found in the gospel books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But an interesting thing about this is none of those three were there. But Peter was. And I can't imagine the story of the experience that he had to tell when he came back to his brothers in Christ. Here here is that experience as Mark records it in Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And he, Jesus, said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come to power. Okay, you hear that, and you're like, hmm, what does that mean? I'm not going to die before, is it, I'm not going to die before Jesus returns? That probably crossed their minds, Um, but he hasn't even left yet, so I don't know what that means. And then the way Mark tells it, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, And led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, It is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
Now, remember last week when we said that Peter was one of the guys who, who would have the best understanding of what he's trying to teach us about forgetting and that sort of thing because he was one of those guys that always got the cart before the horse. He, would, he ran ahead when he should have waited and he opened his mouth when he should have been quiet. I think this is probably one of those moments. Maybe you're one of these people, you don't know what to say, so you open your mouth and say whatever comes out. I think that happened to Peter. It says in verse six, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Wow, what an experience that would be. Peter, as I said, got the cart before the horse. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea, Peter. Let's make three shelters. And let's limit Jesus to this mountain. He, he just didn't know what he was saying. But he did see the kingdom of God come with power before he tasted death. He heard with his own ears God the Father proclaim that Jesus was his son, that Jesus was God, and that they were to listen to him. This was an additional confirmation to Peter that Jesus truly was God. And that he could do all that he claimed he could, and that he would. And, and later, after the crucifixion of Christ, Peter saw Jesus alive again. With his own eyes, he, he spoke with him. He was witness to that as well. And, and he is reminding and telling us to remember these events. Remember these things. And in telling us this, he's refuting the false teachers of that day. Now, these false teachers were peddling a counterfeit faith. They, they, they were creating cunningly devised myths, and they were actually robbing people of this blessed hope because they were falling into their traps. They were believing their lies. They also overemphasized the human experience in their teaching. You see, it was all subjective. It was all about how do you feel? What did you see? What was the experience? They overvalued feelings and so on. Wow. Man, it kind of feels like that's happening in our culture today. That, that, that we value emotion and feeling over truth and fact. Well, if you feel this way, then, yeah, I know the facts say that, but let's talk about this feeling. Because that could never be wrong. Feelings over truth. Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 and 25 says this. Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. That's what Jesus is talking about. Beware, be aware, stay alert. There are people that are intentionally trying to deceive you. Now, they may, they may think in their mind that they have truth and they have the other revelation or this new stuff. But God says in his own word that this is, this is all we need. Now, I certainly didn't witness the transfiguration. But Peter was there. 
and he faithfully recorded his experience for us in a letter that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Experiences are subjective, are subjective, but the word of God is objective. Experiences may be interpreted in different ways by different participants, but the word of God gives one clear message. And sometimes we disagree on the interpretation of that message and we have to, we have to wrestle through that and study and work through that. But what we're talking about here this morning is those words that we seek to understand more. What we remember about our experiences can be unconsciously distorted, but the word of God remains the same and it will live on forever. There have been nations who have tried to rid their nation of this book and can't. Many different writers in many different situations over hundreds and hundreds of years, yet one complete, concise, no author contradicting another. That, my friends, is the inspiration of God at work. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Men and women die, but God's word lives on forever. And experiences will fade, but God's word will remain. And a final truth we learned from Peter this morning is that the world darkens, but the word shines. The world darkens, but the word shines. In some ways, the world is getting better. We talked about it a little bit last night. God has created some amazing people, intelligent, smart, creative doctors and engineers and explorers who have made incredible advances in medicines, transportation, and communication. But the human heart is still wicked. And it is a reality that all the advances in the world haven't really improved our lives. Uh, Wearsby said it this way in his book, medical science enables people to live longer, but there is no guarantee they will live better. Modern means of communication enables lies to travel faster. And jet planes enable us to get places faster, but we do not necessarily have better places to go. Yes, the world does seem to continue to get darker and our world is in a constant battle between good and evil. Jesus warned us in his Sermon on the Mount that this would be the case and that counterfeits would invade the church and promote false doctrines. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 20. Enter, Jesus said, through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. How? How will you be able to recognize them? Because you have made yourself good at knowing what the truth is. So when the counterfeit and the untruth begins to pop up, you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Instead of just buying into it, you know, how we sometimes do, you know, copy, paste everyone in my list. Before we actually think about it, we go, oh, wait a minute. What does God's word say in reference to that thing? And we back off. Um, let's see, where am I? 
By their fruit, verse 16, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. God's word is a light unto those dark things, those untruths, those counterfeits. Uh, look at verses 19 through 21 in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we have the word of the prophets, Peter says, made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I don't think you can get any brighter light shining than the transfiguration. I saw some eyes widen when it said that it was wider than bleach could make it. And then the ascension of Jesus into heaven added evidence to his power and divinity to all the miracles that he had already done for people in that time to witness, to give witness to we would do well, Peter says, to pay attention to God's word and all that the prophets recorded up to that last day when Jesus returns. This is happening today. And, and just as I just mentioned that, that our advances in communication basically allow a lie to go faster, farther, and change over time and become even worse, I think, there are false teachers that claim they have a new revelation. Every so often we get somebody that says, we know, I know when the world is going to end. I know the date and the time. And that should immediately make you think, oh, didn't Jesus talk about that somewhere? Yeah, he did. He said no one knows the time. In fact, he said he didn't even. That's up to the Father, however that works. No, there is no new truth. We must remind, refresh, and remember to stick with God's word, spoken to the prophets and the writers. One commentator I read this week noted that, that Moses' appearance represented the law, or could represent the law, and Elijah's appearance could represent the prophets, but that both of those, the law and the prophets, point to Jesus. All spoke all who spoke and wrote what God breathed to them, not their own words, not their own wisdom. Paul reminded Timothy of this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Now, I don't, I, chapters and verses are not inspired. I, I, I don't think. But if you think of John 3, 16, that talks about what? For God so loved the world. It's the gospel, right? It's the good news. And then you just think, well, where else does it talk about, you know, where, so that's the good news. Those are the words of Jesus. And then, then those were recorded by the inspiration of God. Well, how do we, well, it's in 2 Timothy. If you just remember the 2 Timothy, the 3, 16 and 17 should come easy. And that can help you remember, well, man, it's just, if somebody says, well, you know, where did the Bible come from? Well, God breathed it. And here's, here's, 
Here's where he says that he, he breathed it. All scripture, Paul says, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Over and over. It's not just in that place. Over and over in, uh, throughout scripture, repeatedly, God emphasizes that his inspired word is inerrant, it's infallible, and it is the all-sufficient truth. It's all that we need. The Bible is a light that shines on the path before us. The words that we have on these pages were given by God. Uh, Peter closes this passage pointing that out. Prophecy didn't come from the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Carried along. John MacArthur describes that carried away in this way. He says, Luke twice used this verb, carried, to describe how the wind blows a sailing ship across the waters. For Peter, it was as if the writers of Scripture raised their spiritual sails and allowed the Holy Spirit to blow in them and to fill them with his powerful breath of revelation as they penned its divine words. When Jeremiah said this, the word of the Lord came to me saying, he's really speaking for all of those who wrote the, who, all of those who recorded the Old Testament and even those who wrote the New Testament. The word of the Lord came to me saying, that's what I'm telling you. That's what I wrote down. So if we're going to stand against the counterfeit teachers and leaders and thoughts and ideas, we must be intentional about knowing about accepting and obeying all of this, all of this. And that's not fun sometimes because it does go opposite of what we think or what we would like to do. And that's where that submission and that obedience, that's where that struggle and that's where, that's where us getting on our knees before God and saying, please forgive me for these actions. Search my heart, oh God, show me. Show me those ways that, that, that you want me to correct and lead me in the way everlasting. God's word will stand for all time. And may we all work every day to know and stand on it. And stand on all of it. Uh, in, in the American frontier days, there was a settlement in the West whose citizens were engaged in the lumber business. They were right on a pretty big river and the town felt that they wanted a church. So they built a building and they called a minister and the preacher moved into the settlement and initially he was well received. Then one afternoon, he happened to see some of his parishioners dragging some logs which had been floated down the river from another village upstream. They drug them onto the bank, and each log was marked with the owner's stamp on one end, and to his great distress, he saw his members pulling in the logs and sawing off the end where the telltale stamp appeared. They were log rustling, is what they were doing. The following Sunday, so what did he do? The following Sunday, he preached a strong sermon on the commandment, thou shalt not steal. As the close of the service, his people lined up and offered enthusiastic congratulations. Wonderful message, pastor. Mighty fine preaching. Keep up the good work. Well, that wasn't the response that he expected or had hoped for. So he went home to prepare his sermon for the following Sunday. He preached on the same text, same commandment, but gave it a different ending. 
He said, yes, thou shalt not steal, but thou shalt also not cut off the end of thy neighbor's logs. <laughs> when he got through, the congregation ran him out of town. Now, what was he doing? Preaching the word of God. They didn't like it. So instead of submitting to the word of God, they ran the messenger out of town. And so many times we read in scripture that, look, those prophets, man, they had a rough life. Because it didn't matter if they liked what they were saying. God, God told them to say it, and they had to say it. And, and they, it, it was not fun. And look, sometimes you think it's not fun hearing things. It's not, you're like, wow, pastor, you stepped on my toes this morning. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I did not. That's God stepping on your toes, not me. Don't blame that on me. Don't put that on me. What you hear, what convicts your heart, that's not from my mouth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whatever, whenever it is. And, and we need to listen to that. Paul, as he stood before the Roman governor, Felix, said this. In, it's found in Acts chapter 24, verse 14. But this I admit to you that according to the way which they, the Jews, call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law that is written in the prophets. Now, ultimately, Paul's words lead to his death. As was true of the disciples and many Christians who lived faithfully to the word of God in, in that time. God's message to us through some of the final words, written words of Peter, is to hold true to those very words. Men and women will die. But God's word lives on. Our experiences will fade. But God's word will remain. And the world, yes, the world, it will get darker and darker. But God's word is a lamp into our path, a bright, shining light. So let's wake up and let's remind, be reminded, refreshed, and let's remember. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word and your faithfulness to speak to our hearts and our minds. And God, I pray that we need help. I need your help. I need help with my attitudes and with my thought life. I need help with my actions and I need help with my schedule. And Lord Jesus, ultimately, ultimately, I, it's just so easy to say, I, I, I want to be obedient and faithful to your word and what you teach me and I know that that is part of my struggle every day and that sometimes I am two-faced and I, I, I listen and get caught up in other things and I pray that each one of us God I pray that that we would genuinely that we would be genuinely getting on our knees before you in the midst of the mess of the life that we are in so that we can hear you from your word and so that we can be transformed as you renew our minds. God, help us to remember that your word is, it's infallible, it's inerrant. We can trust it completely 
and fully. It's that other stuff. It's the other messages. It's the other counterfeits. It's the, the additional things that people try to add and help us to discern. Help us to learn and know the truth so well that when the, when the false prophets show up, we can immediately know that, that that's what they are. And Lord Jesus, now as we move to communion, I pray that you would just continue to draw us. That, that's, one, an, that's, that's another way that you have given us to remember on a consistent basis in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26 say this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I came across some words from the pastor, Jack Hayford, and, and I want to read them as we think about partaking this morning. This is what he wrote. Jesus said to come and partake. When we come to partake of this table, what is it he wants us to remember? Let me suggest two possibilities. Do you think that Jesus instituted the table saying he wanted us to come together regularly to, to break bread and drink of the cup? Do you think he wanted us to remember how much it hurt him? Did, did he say the nails went in my hands and the spear went in my side and the thorns went on my head? Remember how much it hurt me. Never forget that it was your fault. Obviously, that intent would imply an ongoing sense of guilt is required for discipleship. Or did he mean this? I want you to remember every time you take the bread and cup that when my blood was shed for you, it was shed once and for all to cover all your sin so that you never need to live under condemnation. Never forget that when you partake of this bread, like Israel getting miracle manna in the wilderness, there is nourishment in my life. I have forgiven you, and I will enable you with strength for every day. Don't forget when you're sick and afflicted, you needn't go on with interminable suffering. I am your healer. If you feel plagued by Satan, remember that through my cross, I abolished the power of all principalities and powers and made an open spectacle of them. What do you think Jesus meant for us to remember? Is Jesus Christ a neurotic who dominates his church by imposing guilt on a weekly or a monthly basis to those who come to remember his death? Or is he a mighty savior who wants us to remember that he, was wa that he has washed us from our sins and will be our strength every day? He has broken the power of sin and temptation and satanic bondage. In no way can they dominate your life. What do you think he wants you to remember? The one who died has said that everybody can come to him. It doesn't require an earned acceptance to come to the table. He says, come and dine. And he opens it to all of us. Any system or institution that restricts access to the Lord's table is not protecting that table or preserving its purity. They are limiting its pure power to change human nature, limiting the people's ability to come and glorify Jesus when they partake. And so, as we come to the table this morning, 
I want us to come with rejoicing and praise. This is a table of triumph. This is a table that we partake of. This is a table that we partake of today. And may we rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ as we partake. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May we worship and rejoice in what Jesus did for us. As we partake of the bread, which represents his broken body, and as we partake of the cup, which represents the blood that he shed, and and as we remember that he didn't stay dead, he's alive today. He rose from the dead. He conquered in his power, death and sin, which we have access to in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the servers will come and we will pass out the bread in the cup and I just want you to, to remember. Take the bread on your own. Take the cup on your own. And then when we've had some time, the worship team will come up and, and lead us in our final song. Lord Jesus, Help us to remember. We need your help. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. Lead us in the way that we should go. And and Lord Jesus, we we worship you as we remember, as we partake in Jesus' name. Amen.